We pray. Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you for sending us your word to tell us about the wonderful things our Savior accomplished for us. Please use your word today to strengthen us and build us up in our faith and in our Christian living. We pray in the name of Jesus, our risen and ascended Savior. Amen. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. This is the time of year that a lot of people are uh, graduating from schools, right? It's kind of like graduation season. And uh, so graduation season comes with a lot of things. It comes with graduation parties. It used to come back in the day with signing of yearbooks. I don't know how people do these things anymore. Uh, But one of the things that comes with graduation season is something called commencement speeches. You guys know what a commencement speech is, right? Maybe at the high school level, it would be something like the valedictorian, the top scholar of the class, who gets a chance to stand up and address his or her classmates and and share a few thoughts at the end of the year. I think more likely at the college level is, is where you'd see this, where it would be a celebrity or like a very, very famous past graduate of the school who gets to stand up and share a commencement speech and address all of those graduates before they head off on their careers. It's the time of the year for commencement speeches. So what makes a good commencement speech? If you were giving one, what would you include? I'd maybe suggest a couple things. Not too long, for sure. Not too short, either. You probably want your commencement speech to be heartfelt and inspiring in some way. A little bit of humor might be good. But finally, a really memorable commencement speech should ideally end with a mic drop. It could be literal, you take your mic and drop it on the ground, but more likely it's just a good, strong, concluding statement that sums it all up and leaves nothing more to be said. Now, those four words that I said at the beginning of the sermon, stay hungry, stay foolish, that was the final line. That was the mic drop of Steve Jobs' 2005 commencement speech at the University of Stanford. If you Google, like, top commencement speeches ever, this makes just about anybody's list of top ten speeches. It was a very, very famous speech from Steve Jobs, and we're actually going to talk about that speech a little bit more later in the sermon. But first, with this idea of a mic drop, of a concluding statement, I wonder if you will recognize the parallel to our sermon text when we read it. We haven't read our sermon text yet, because it's only one verse, so we just saved it for the sermon. But our verse is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It is the final verse in this beautiful resurrection chapter of Scripture that we've been studying ever since Easter. And this verse is a very strong closing statement, sums it all up, and leaves nothing more to be said. So we're going to read that verse in a minute, but it doesn't make sense to just read the mic drop unless you've reviewed the rest of the speech. So let's take just a moment and think back on the previous 57 verses of the chapter. What has Paul talked about in the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15? Well, he starts off the chapter, and in the opening verses, Paul encourages the Christians they should have absolutely no doubt that Jesus actually rose from the dead. He lists Jesus' many appearances. He names the eyewitnesses, most of whom were still living. He impresses upon the Corinthian Christians that 
Jesus' resurrection is not a legend. It is a historical fact worth basing their entire lives upon. Then, in the next verses, Paul challenges the Corinthians a little bit. And he says, you guys believe in Jesus' resurrection. You've staked your lives on this claim. Why are you having a problem believing in your own resurrection someday? Apparently, some of the Corinthian Christians were thinking there's not going to be anything for them after they die. And Paul said, if Jesus rose, you are going to rise. This is what he said. Because I live, you also will live. And that means you don't have to live in anxiety and fear about what's going to happen to you when you die. Because Jesus rose from the grave, and that's an accomplished fact, you are going to rise from your grave, and that is also a fact. You can live in confidence. Then, in the next verses, Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moved into maybe what I would consider some of the most interesting sections of the chapter where he starts to talk about and describe what are our bodies going to actually be like when they rise from the grave one day. And there are many questions that were left unanswered. Um, but we did learn some very interesting things. I think the main point that stuck from that section was your body as it is buried in the ground someday, is, is like your resurrection body in the way that a seed, when you plant it in the ground, is like a plant. Same, but different. Really, really different. A whole different mode of living. A whole different existence. And so we are going to have amazing resurrection bodies someday, but the exact truth of what they look like is something that we really can't understand without experiencing it ourselves. And then, in the last section that we studied last week, Paul reminds us that everything we're talking about with resurrection, it changes the way that we look at death. And he's, he wrote that very famous line, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because of Jesus, death is like a rattlesnake that doesn't have any venom. It looks scary, but it can't truly harm you anymore. So with all of this in the background and with a totally changed view of death, we now move to the mic drop, the closing statement, the summary that sums it all up and leaves nothing more to be said. And that's our sermon text for today. Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So there's basically two points in this verse. And the first one is this, stand firm. Let nothing move you. I think that's good. I think that's helpful for Christians of any time to be encouraged to stand firm in our faith. We need that encouragement because there are lots of things going on around us that are trying to push us and move us and cause maybe our feet to slip away from Jesus. If you think about our world, in our culture, there are a lot of different ideas out there, right? There are a lot of different worldviews out there. There are a lot of different people out there saying a lot of different, very compelling things. And it can be intimidating to try to deal with all this. And it's possible, in fact, it maybe is easy to go through life like bouncing from one idea to the next, following one teaching after another, trying on one worldview and then trying on another and never really landing anywhere. 
Paul warns a different Christian congregation about this same issue. In Ephesians chapter 4, he tells them, don't get tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, unstable, unsettled. Don't do that. Stand firm. That's a useful encouragement, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? I want to go back to Steve Jobs for a minute. So his mic drop quote at Stanford 2005 was, stay hungry, stay foolish. You think about what he is saying. That is an excellent theme for the career that Steve Jobs spent his whole life in. Right? The career of tech innovation, basically. And I looked through this week, I read the transcript, I listened to part of the speech, too, that he spoke at Stanford, and he explained how he never graduated from college. Steve Jobs was not an alumnus of Stanford or any university. He bounced around from job to job. He tried out all kinds of different paths. He explored all kinds of different opportunities. But the whole time, he stayed curious. He stayed open. He continued to explore new ideas. He continued to think outside the box. And the result was this extraordinary career in the field of tech innovation and the founding of, I think what we would say is one of the most successful companies in the world, right? Apple. Many of the screens that we use to get information, to communicate with each other, to navigate home from church, perhaps, are in our hands and in our lives in part because of Steve Jobs' ability to stay hungry, stay foolish. It's a great theme for pioneering new ideas in the field of technology. But is it a great theme for your faith? As you know, there are a lot of people, the majority of people, I think, in our culture, who view the Bible or Christianity in pretty much the same way as developing technology. Which is to say, it can always be changed. It can always be improved. It can always be updated. And it's useful for doing the things that we already know we want to do, but it doesn't need to dictate the way that we think and act and live. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. Stay open to new things. Don't be so arrogant in your faith to think that there's only one right way. There are many, many people who view the Bible and Christianity in a very similar way to how we would view developing technology. But is this how we should view it? <laughs> no, we should not, because the Bible is not a piece of man-made technology. It's a book from God telling us things that as human beings we would otherwise not know, and particularly telling us this one amazing truth that God loves us even though we're broken. And God loves us so much he's willing to lay down his life and die for us so that we can live with him. The Bible is a book from God that lays out for us the amazing, unexpected truth of the gospel. It's also a book of real history, real things God did in our real world, revelations God made to real people. And at its heart, I think most of all, the Bible is a book about a historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Son of God, and the answer to our sin, and the path to forgiveness, who claimed to be that person, and then who proved it by many different miracles, but most of all his miracle of rising from the dead after being crucified from our sins, for our sins. 
And after Jesus rose and, uh, and uh, appeared to many, many people, as Luke tells us, giving many convincing proofs that he was really alive, he ascended into heaven in power and glory, and now he sits at God's right hand, ruling all things for our good. But this is what the Bible teaches us, a message from God to us about God's incredible love for our world, culminating in the central point of human history, the time that God and man collided. Jesus lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and because of that, we can have absolute confidence of who we are right now, that God is guiding our life right now, and what's going to happen to us when we die someday. Paul's point is, there are some things that cannot be changed. There are some things that cannot be improved upon. And the, the perfect gospel of a crucified, risen, and ascended Christ is one of them. Just because it happened 2,000 years ago doesn't mean it needs to be updated. In fact, any updates or improvements to the pure, free gospel of Jesus' forgiveness only serve to water it down and to take away the hope and certainty that it gives. There are some things that cannot be changed. There are some things that are worth standing on just how they are. Once again, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul is listing out the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom were still alive when Paul wrote this, although a few had fallen asleep. And Paul emphasizes the point, these were unlikely people. Jesus appeared even to Paul himself, chief persecutor of Christianity, who switched and became a Christian and spent the rest of his life witnessing to the truth of the resurrection. Because it actually happened. Jesus actually rose. And that means that your forgiveness actually happened. And it means your resurrection is going to actually happen too. It means the things that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago are still true today. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And because he lives, we also will live. There are some things that can't be changed. There are some things that cannot be improved upon. There are some things that are simply worth standing on as they are. And the free forgiveness of a crucified, resurrected, ascended Savior is one of those things. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. So, you look at this picture. I, I looked for uh, pictures of person standing firm, and I thought this is really an ideal illustration, right? And you look at this picture and you're like, this is what I want my faith to look like. Spiritually, I want to be like this person. But is this what my faith always looks like? Or are there times when your faith maybe feels much more weak and crumbly and shaky? And you picture a person whose knees are knocking together and they're almost slipping off of where they're standing. So, you know, this is the big question. It's a question we've been talking a lot about in, in Bible studies lately. What do you do about the times that your faith does not feel strong? What do you do about those times when your faith does not feel like an immovable rock? What do you do about those times? Well, the answer is to remember the strength of your faith does not come from your standing. The strength of your faith comes from what you're standing on. And so maybe, as nice of a picture as this is, maybe this is a better picture of what your faith is really like. 
This is the most famous rock in the world. Does anybody know what this rock is called? It's the Rock of Gibraltar. Back in the day, people knew about this rock because they sailed around it and it was a landmark they couldn't miss. But I think this is even part of the logo of, is it prudent financial? I guess your investments are as solid as a rock. But maybe you've heard this statement, like, it's as solid as the Rock of Gibraltar. And you can understand why, because moving this would be difficult. It's, It's attached to the earth. This is just this incredibly solid mass of rock. It is not going anywhere, no matter how hard you push it, no matter what you do to it. And so it is with our faith when that faith is founded upon the rock of our Savior Jesus. The immovable, solid rock of what he has already done. He already came to the world. He already accomplished a perfect life in spite of all the devil's temptations. He already died on the cross for every sin you would ever do. He already rose from the dead. He already ascended back to heaven where he is currently living and reigning at the right hand of God. His work of salvation is 100% complete. And it can't be undone. And so, you can stand strong because he is strong. Right? You can make it through this world with all of its winds and waves and constant distractions because he is holding on to you with all of his might. Even when maybe you're not holding on to him as tightly as you should be. You can be confident what's going to happen to you when you die because you are part of his plan. And it's a plan to keep you standing firm here on earth and then to have you standing firm with him forever in heaven. With your faith fixed on the solid rock of Jesus, don't be afraid. You are standing firm. Nothing will move you. You are safe. But life as a Christian in this world is not just about safety for yourself. It's also about safety for others. So Christ's love motivates us to look around at people who are wandering all over the place, trying on one worldview after another, listening to one person and then another, exploring. I can't tell you how many people I talk to in Atlanta who are in this exact stage of just, they don't really know what the worldview is or the spiritual view is, and they're trying on one of everything. Nothing is sticking and nothing is bringing hope. If you want to picture this concretely, it's like tripping and stumbling and slipping into quicksand and climbing back out. And here you are standing on the rock, the immovable rock of Christ. Christ's love compels us to reach out and pull more people to the solid rock with us. And that's the second point of our text. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, labor, I would argue, does not sound like a positive word. I don't know when you see labor, if you think, like, nice, that sounds fun. I think of maybe a chain gang breaking rocks in the hot sun. That sounds like labor. Um, Moms, we celebrated Mother's Day last week, but y'all did some labor. Uh, Doesn't seem super fun. So we maybe think of labor and we think of pain and, and negativity and something that's really maybe not ideal, but in reality, labor is a good thing. Work is a good thing. Work was in the world before sin was in the world. Work is a positive, and we know this is true. There's maybe nothing so satisfying in life as working really, really hard on something, pouring your heart and soul into it, and then it works out exactly or even better than you thought. That incredible feeling of accomplishment. That is a gift from God. So, in Jesus... 
God has 100% accomplished the work of our salvation. But he knows that we need something else to work on. And so he calls us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's important because our other kinds of labor perhaps at times feel very much in vain. Have you ever worked on something? Worked incredibly hard on something? And then it just gets completely messed up and you feel like you totally wasted your time? You clean the house beautifully and then the kids in like 15 minutes thoroughly destroy it again. Why did I try it? Uh, or maybe, like, at your job, you pour your heart and soul into, into this project, and you, you make the ideal plan, and you execute that plan to perfection, and then due to some circumstance that's totally outside of your control, it just comes crashing down. It doesn't work at all. And you're like, why did I try? Or maybe it's a person. Maybe you've poured your heart and soul into helping a person, and they just kind of threw it all aside and let you down. And you're like, why did I try, right? So sometimes our work feels very, very much in vain, like we're wasting our time. Like, why do we even do it? But as a Christian, with faith built on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus, all your labor is labor in the Lord. And that means none of your labor is in vain. You think about this. Your work with your kids is God's work as he molds them and shapes them and turns you into a mirror of his love to them. Your work at the office is God's work. As he makes you into his hands and feet to serve society in whatever capacity your work does it, and as he makes you his hands and feet to serve and love the people that are working on your team. And your work of trying to encourage or uplift another person, that's God's work as through your love, that person sees God's love, regardless of how they respond, regardless of what they decide to do with it at that particular time. As a Christian, all your work is God's work. And that means none of your work is in vain. Then there's one final thought, which really comes from our gospel lesson today, from those final words Jesus said before he ascended. And that thought is this, everything we do Every relationship, every task, every moment of every day, really, is all part of one big work, one big job. And here's how Jesus described that task. He said, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And so it is with Christians, even thousands of years later, reading it today, you are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses to our world of a God who loves us so much that he paid for our eternity with his own blood. You're witnesses in our world of a God who conquered death so that one day all of his children can conquer death too. You are witnesses in our world of a hope that lasts way beyond the here and now and that lasts forever into eternity. And no matter where you go in life, no matter what you're working on in life, God is working through you all the time to share that eternal hope with the people around you. The fact is, Christ's resurrection makes your life 
way more impactful to the people around you than you or I will probably ever realize. It brings value to all of your work because all of your work is God's work and God's work is never in vain. So, what is left to say? It would be great to have a concluding statement to wrap all this up. It would be great to be able to say something and then drop the microphone. I think probably the best way to conclude this has it been a seven-week sermon series, is simply to hand the microphone back to the Apostle Paul and let him deliver the closing line. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.